This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. Hey, I have some good news. I know we've all been wondering about this. Does Paul ever get to Rome? What? He does. Spoiler, he went to Rome. He got to Rome. Yes. Last time we left him, of course, he was in the kind of pickle that Paul always gets himself into. Poor Paul. Actually, kind of awesome Paul. Paul, the guy that hangs in there no matter what. And I don't think the mystery of the, um, that's okay. We're ready. Yes. Who remembers this map, right? So Paul uh, has been arrested in Jerusalem for being a heretic, blaspheming jerk, according to the uh, the legalists of the time. And remember, there are a number of factions of Judaism at this time uh, and place. And he has been, he has been um, uh, telling people about Christ, the good news of Christ, uh, the forgiveness of sins. And this is not the group's belief that is in power. And so he is uh, hauled out of the temple at Passover he is beaten by the crowd. He is taken into custody. He is uh, held at the governor's uh, uh, home and compound. And he, uh, he appeals to Caesar uh, to try to get free of being... Um, so he's, he's under arrest, but he's also sort of in custody more than anything else. It's not safe for him to step outside. He will be killed. He is too high status of a person and a Roman citizen for the Romans just to throw to the Judeans to do what they will with them. So everybody is in a bit of a pickle. Paul has the status to appeal to Rome, and so he does. And he boards a ship, a small merchant ship uh, at first, takes him to Alexandria, which is a bigger port, and he gets put on a giant Roman grain ship, not the sturdiest ships in the world. Um, and with a bunch of grain late in the season. They should probably not be setting out to sail. They're taking some risks doing that, and there's already risks if you are a Roman sailing on the sea on a giant grain ship. Um, and, uh, but it is after the Day of Atonement, the day when God has written in the book who shall live and who shall die that year, um, and the storms are starting. The ships, notice... The first smooth part on this side of the, the diagram, the ships stay along the coast. These are not great seaworthy vessels, right? This is not princess cruise lines. Um, the, they have to hug the coast because that's where a lot of the coastal winds are, and it's a lot safer. They hug the coast. They go up along Israel, Lebanon. They turn that corner around Cyprus. They're headed for Nidos. They actually want to move into the Aegean Sea, but the winds and the weather are bad. There's no way that they're gonna be able to make that. So they turn at Nidos, they head, they head for Sideros. 
um, which is uh, right there, a little tiny, you know, clip on the far side of Crete, and around to that first sort of arrow of stopping, which is Fair Havens or beautiful white sand. Wonderful place to stay, only it's really not going to accommodate the big grain ship. So they say, oh, I know, maybe we can get as far as Phoenix, which is just a hitch over, just a hitch, not far, just a hitch, a hitch. And the wind seemed fair, so they thought, we can do it. And there's extra money in it if we can get to Rome with grain in the off-season. Think of how rich we will all be. Uh, Paul, of course, uh, does the mansplaining thing of telling everybody how that's not going to actually be safe. Pretty bossy in this sometimes. But he's right, right? For how annoying that might be, he is actually correct. And he, they head off to Phoenix, and a huge storm comes in. Blows right down the hills of Crete, right across the sea. The next thing you know, they're a little out of control. They're lucky they landed on this tiny island of Cauda. Super, super lucky. It's not a big island. From there, they hope maybe they can make it, but it, the storm is so high, and they get caught up in the winds, and they do what no Roman sailor in his right mind would ever do. They are stuck crossing open sea, and it's not a straight path. Now, I made that little squiggle. I didn't sat-nav Paul's journey, but you can see that it would have been terrifying. By the time they hit the sandbar at Malta, it's dark, they don't know if they're near land or not, but they can guess that they are. A couple of the sailors think that they can get the lifeboats and make a run for it. Paul convinces everybody to stay together. We're in this together. This is how we get through calamity, is we stick together. Paul encourages people to eat. Paul prays over the meal. Paul steps into a pastoring role of caring for people. He explains about a vision that he had, that an angel had come to him and said they were going to be okay, but they needed to stick together. Sun comes up. Sure enough, land. It's got to have been the best news ever. The ship is literally breaking apart. They have already dumped all the grain. They grab onto the broken boards of the ship, and they get to land. Probably the island of Malta. We don't know for sure. There's an, a Roman official who rules that island in the name of Rome, and there are indigenous people that live there. And Paul comes into direct contact with them. He stays with the ruler on the island and spends time helping heal everybody on the island. So we run into some empire stuff right there as Paul, um, our commentaries are sometimes not helpful in how they tell this part of the story. Um, and we tackled that last week, right? So from there, they wait. They, they're actually there a while. And when sailing season returns, when things get fair again, they're able to sail for Rome. And they stop at a couple little ports along the way. And Paul finally gets to Rome where he will have his audience with Caesar. So one of the things I want to just point out uh, as we talk about this today is talking about testimony and witness. And that's, that's kind of our, our nugget today. 
And I want us to think about how hard it can be. How easy is it for you to witness to your faith, right? That's a, even a corny phrase that makes us kind of cringe a little just to, you know, God, do we have to say it like that? That sounds so corny. I'm going to go witness to my faith now, right? Be like, uh, why don't you just stay home? <laughs> That's embarrassing. Don't do that next to me, okay? I'm going to stay over here. Like, you know, when you're a teenager and you're out with your parents and you're like, you know, sidling over, Please don't witness to anything, Mom. Please don't. So, but Paul, this is Paul's life. For Paul, this isn't like a separate part of him that he like puts on before he goes out witnessing. He lives his faith. It pours out of him because of the Holy Spirit within him that has called him and healed him out of rage, out of anger. He, he was a terrible dude, right? He had been arresting people, imprisoning people, publicly humiliating, shaming, torturing people, breaking up families. He'd been doing that in the name of religion. He had been doing that. And then Christ showed up in his life. I don't know about you, but when Christ showed up in my life, there was like this incredible well of gratitude that someone even as dorky and silly and broken and foolish as myself could be loved by God and could be called to speak about that love. So Paul has been giving, even in this short, this isn't even all of Acts, right? This is just the last few chapters. In these last few chapters, Paul has given his testimony, his truth about God and the world beyond to the Christ believers in Damascus, to the Arabs, to the leaders of the Christ believing sect in Jerusalem, across the Gentile territories of what is now Turkey and Greece, to the crowds gathered for Passover in Jerusalem, to the high priests and high council of Judea, to the Roman commander who took him into custody, to Felix, the governor of Judea, to Festus, who succeeded Felix, to King Agrippa II and his sister Berenice, to the centurion Julius, to all those who sailed on that ship from Alexandria, to Publius, the Roman overseer of the people of Malta, to the people of Malta, to the people of Rome, to Caesar himself, who was Nero, not a great guy, right? And yet, he was moved by Paul's testimony and allowed Paul to preach freely, exonerating him of any wrongdoing. There is a reason that God calls us to be witnesses, to see things in the world and in ourselves and give our testimony how we speak to that. When I hear somebody else's story, I become a witness to their life in that way. I can speak that about them. It becomes testimony about the will and the goodness of God. So Paul was living in a time of deep, um, destructive war, empire, conflict, civil war, but we don't really get that war in Acts. So we know that Paul's life came to a close probably before 66, when the Roman army marched on Galilee and uh, took 100,000 slaves, destroyed the city. Followed that 
in 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem. Had those things occurred, we would hear about them. Instead, well, the writer of this book knew about them, but Paul himself, his life, did not include those. Instead, uh, that story launches us to know that despite the circumstances of our political and social world, our testimony matters, even to people like Nero, even there. We hear that in our second reading today, the John reading. We receive human testimony, right? So if I hear Terry tell me about her love of God, I hear her testimony, which is, which is I sometimes I'll, I'll, and I'll cry, right? Have you ever heard somebody tell you their story about God and you're just like weeping with them? And the book tells us that God's testimony is greater, greater either even to being moved at that, at that depth because God has testified through his son. Literally, Jesus Christ has come to us in the flesh, incarnationally, not only to speak the truth of God, but to literally be present as God. The one who believes in God's son has the testimony within. It's not something we have to bring in on ourselves. It's not a coat that we put on when we leave the house. Our witness comes naturally when we say, God bless you at the checkout line, or we just listen, because we inside us, we feel the love and the light of Christ. The one who doesn't believe God has made God a liar. That's a tough one, right? If God is doing something, like I would, I would submit that this, when the South broke with the United Methodist Church in order to hold, sell, torture human beings and hold them in slavery, that they were making God a liar. Nowhere in the book can I see that that is affirmed as the right way to live talks about slavery in the context of history, but there is no commandment that says thou shalt keep, suppress, and hold human beings as slaves. But there are plenty of places where it says the captives shall be set free. God gave eternal life to us, and that life is his son. The Acts ends with I would say almost a lament. Paul is trying to talk to these people, all that testimony, and there are still some he just can't reach. And I like the way the message translates that last paragraph that Mary read so well. You're going to listen with your ears, but you won't hear a word. You're going to stare with your eyes, but you won't see a thing. These people are blockheads. They stick their fingers in their ears so they don't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. So they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. I find that to be pretty powerful. And that brings me to the testimony of climate. Having been somebody who was in the <laughs> early days, I warned about hydrogenated oils. I remember that. Margarine was evil. I would tell people that's breast cancer in a tub. Do not eat that stuff. And I hope everybody here still heard me the other day. We do not eat Cool Whip in this church, right? It is unclean. No Cool Whip. Okay. And I remember my friends thought I was hilarious, legalistic, 
and I guess it is very legalistic. Admit it, I admit it. I'm very legalistic about things like Cool Whip and margarine. Don't eat them. <laughs> and of course, much later on, there's been a lot of research to say that hydrogenated oils are actually extremely bad for our biochemistry. They're not good for us. So didn't I want to just dope slap the people who'd given me such a hard time for so long? <laughs> so climate, right? We have had this argument for long enough that this is the statement on ExxonMobil's website. Next slide. The risk, ExxonMobil, okay? The risk of climate change is clear and the risk warrants action. Increasing carbon emissions in the atmosphere are having a warming effect. There is broad scientific and policy consensus that action must be taken to further quantify and assess the risks. ExxonMobil, your climate denying uncle needs to read that. And don't let him near me, I will dope slap him, I swear I will. <sighs> so my mama rage is funny, but there's a lot at stake here. And we aren't listening to each other. And we're paying attention to our comforts. We're sticking our fingers in our ears. Rather than, and th why? They, they had to admit it. They have lawsuits like crazy coming at them now. This, this was not something they did because out of the goodness of their hearts, because they're Christ believers and they want to witness to God's, God's will for our creation in our world. They're trying to sell you on natural gas here. If you read further down, they're like, that's why we need to stick to like clean fossil fueling, <laughs> burning energy. Like, oh, not really, not really. Um, so, one of the, so uh, folks know that this week we had a climate change training here at, at the church. Uh, we had um, clergy and faith leaders from San Diego to Alaska here. And, um, and we had some of our wonderful uh, members of our church uh, help present, as well as guest presenters. Um, and uh, we talked about testimony. And I led the workshop called Two Minutes of Testimony, because I myself have spent a number of times standing uh, at uh, hearings and city councils. Well, it doesn't really matter. Oh, here it is. And... Two minutes of testimony, you get two minutes. You get two minutes to say why you believe we should do something different than is being done. And I am also often surprised that people of faith don't talk about their faith when they do their two minutes. They talk about a lot of other things, but they don't talk about their faith, as if God isn't paying attention or hasn't noticed what we're doing, or as if God's testimony isn't in us. But God's testimony is in me, like it or not, <laughs> oh goodness me, yes. Next slide. So my two minutes in many ways uh, during the conference, I sort of connected to this memory of being this little girl. 
And I grew up in Ottawa where uh, the Ottawa River uh, ran through and it was, we were right on the back of the whole green space. And so beavers, foxes, rabbits, um, turtles, snakes, you name it, all lived back there. It was absolutely glorious to grow up as a child there. And one of the things that happened every year was you'd go over to where the puddles were and there'd be tadpoles. And tadpoles are enchanting, aren't they? They're little teeny little fat, little fat forward parts, little round, little, I don't know, it's squishy, fat, chubby for being so little, and these little tails, and they're sleek, right? And they, and they have like these little bulges where their legs are going to come out. And if you feed them and if you watch them, you see some of them have like little legs now sprouting. So there's sort of these swimming donuts, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely marvelous, enchanting creatures. And I would hold them and look at them. And um, I just loved it. I just loved it. And um, here's the next slide. So this would be kind of me as a child, just scooping up tadpoles and and they grew up to be frogs, too, just the most amazing thing. Harder to hold on to. Tadpoles can't jump away quite yet. Um, so a couple of years ago, um, as a grown-up, I was a grown-up a couple of years ago, just a couple, though, just a couple, I uh, went and I was serving in Grace River, and I went up to the hills up there, and there were some puddles, and the, and the, the weather had changed. It had gone from being rainy to being really warm. It's going to be warm for a week. And the puddles were drying up, and I noticed that in the puddles, there were these tadpoles. And of course, the little girl in me is like, oh my gosh. So I, I made us find a container, scooping up some of the mud and the tadpoles. We're going to save some of them. And I brought them home, and we have this terrarium that we'd used for various lizards and things that the kids had brought in. And it was, I scrubbed it all clean, you know, really scrubbed it out, make sure there was no bacteria in there, scrubbed the heck out of it. Then I used to put in those little plastic trees and plastic uh, fronds and stuff. And then I, I uh, uh, the man-made, like, rocks, you know, that had come from the bag and had like the little dust in it and made sure that was super clean too. And I put it all in there and I filled it with water and I scooped the tadpoles out of that mud that they were in so that they'd be nice and clean in the nice terrarium and I could watch them grow. The next day they were all dead. Every single one. They were all gone. And I, it, it felt like Rachel Carson's silent spring had happened to me. And I couldn't figure it out. Like, was it the, their, their little bodies are so sensitive. You know, their skin is so thin and porous. Like, was it the plastics? Was it how the residue of the cleaning materials I used? Was it the those rocks that were clearly not natural, right? For someone who, you know, makes a rule about not eating margarine, I had created this fake world full of chemicals that were completely not part of the tadpole ecosystem. We have to change what we do. Our world, I didn't save those tadpoles. I killed them. Ah, so 
So this is a group picture. Some of us from the um, Climate Speakers Network was with Climate Reality, and they came here to present. Uh, and uh, we had a group picture um, all together. And we're going to go through these fairly, fairly quickly. Next one. These, this is uh, Carla Brolier and Jill Linus, and they were our speakers from, uh, they, they're based in Washington, D.C., and they came out to uh, lead us uh, through, uh, through many conversations about climate change. Next one. Uh, another one. Yeah, uh, this is some of the folks who were gathered to, to hear. And uh, next one. Uh, this is Tom Wilson. He traveled from uh, Seattle. Next one. Do we know this is this is Marie How right? So she uh, she's the United Methodist woman uh, president at the Medford Church, and she attended the conference. Next one. This is um, Jill talking about forest fires. It's one of the things that in the Western context we really have to be careful about. These forest fires are costing about a billion dollars each, and the. Um, Seven of California's 10 largest modern wildfires have occurred in the last 14 years. Um, we've, they're having historic fires. Uh, last year, 9.8 million acres burned in the western and northwestern states. Montana was a million acres. Uh, in California, was 44 people died. Um, in February, the temperatures in the Arctic, this February, were 40, was 45 degrees uh, above normal. Last month, the ice of the Bering Sea was 10% of normal. The six warmest years on record for the planet have all occurred since 2010, with the last three years the hottest ever, even without the El Nino effect. We broke a record already this year for the highest global temp ever recorded in Pakistan, the record that we set just last year that we can maybe expect to beat next year. Next slide. So we played games. This is a pass the ball, try to think out of the box. Next slide. This is Ellis, our mascot, reminding us that our toddlers deserve the same life we have had. Right? They deserve to be parents and grandparents, just like we got to be a little bit of blocks from the, uh, picked up a block from the sanctuary. He was playing with blocks quite a bit. Next slide. Ah, do we recognize that person? Having fun with the, with the, the pretty good catch, too. Next slide. One of our presenters, who she uh, has, a, she's an expert at peacemaking circle. That's one of the things that I've talked about here, where we bring people together and we figure out how to talk together, e equalizing our relationships and bringing our hearts to each other. Next slide. Chris, who was amazing and wonderful, and all the tables were all set up and everything went so beautifully in it. Chris it was Chris's doing. Next slide. Uh, Jen led a couple of sessions with uh, teaching us how to sing songs together of solidarity, how when we go out together and talk about these things, that song is formational and deeply transformative, and it helps us build uh, relationships together. And Jim was here, too, to help her do that. Next slide. And this is uh, John Pitney, who's been working on climate in the Portland area for quite a while, and he has uh, some fabulous songs. Next slide. 
This is Reverend Sharon Delgado, who was our guest preacher. She was, she's based in Northern California, and her book, Love in a Time of Climate Change, we still have copies. They're $22 each if you want to purchase one. Um, this, this is our own beautiful Marjorie, who helped us sort of navigate some contextual territory about, um, about who we are and how we come to understand ourselves, our ethnicities, and each other. Next slide. Uh, this is our own Jamie, uh, who, okay, so we're not a science-y group. This is like church people, right? I love science, but I haven't studied it. Um, and Jamie just was able to, so inviting into the conversation so that none of us, you know, wanted to jump off a bridge afterwards. Um, and all of us were, were, saw the value and the deep importance of engaging the science part of the conversation. Our own Kyrie Marie, who led us through uh, uh, an understanding of what it means to be indigenous, both you know, without uh, in it, its own right and cultures in their own right, and what happened with the intersection of white colonialism, and of course, colonialism takes lots of different forms. The Romans were colonizers, the Greeks were colonizers, and today we grapple with the Americans as colonizers. Next one. So we also had a group of young people do a play for us, a climate play, and here they are setting up. And this is the play, little slides from the play. It was a clowning sort of old style theater play. That's a beehive and her, you can't really see, but her gloves have bees on every end of every finger. And so she runs around with the bees in the beehive. It's pretty epic. Next slide. Uh, yes, this is one of the bad guys. He also got to be Gary the Wasp, so look out, Gary. Next slide. And uh, yeah, I mean, kingdoms and principalities. Um, this, is, uh, this is one of the young rulers, a boy king, who sort of comes to, to realize that. And then at the very end, we had question and answer. How did you come up with this story? How do you feel about climate change? What moves you in this storytelling? Because this is a big story to tell, right? How do you tell this story? We go out and give our testimony. What part of it should we offer? Oh, my goodness, right? So it was an opportunity to do that. The next day, we started with songs. And um, then we broke out into new conversations. Um, this is Don and Alana Steinke. They have been part of a coalition that has stopped 24 fossil fuel projects in southwest Oregon, uh, southwest Washington and Oregon. Seriously, amazing organization. Um, par again, uh, participants, there's Don. Don is just a font of information, and he just hangs in there. Next one. Again, our, our toddler, our reminder of why we were all there. Next slide. And next slide. And this was, these are local organizers who organize uh, uh, just kind of finding out what do you do? How do you do that? Um, and also as people of faith, how do we intersect that? Because I have showed up at many rallies and I wear the collar and I wear the gear and I come as a person of faith. I don't have to leave my faith behind. My faith comes in front of me, behind me, on all sides of me. I'm not separated from that. This is Allison Carey. Ooh, go back one. This is um, Allison Carey. Does, yes, she is the, one of the writer-directors for Oregon Shakespeare Festival, and they've been doing what's called green turgy. They've been looking at the plays and connecting with the environment in which they come out of, like the actual environment, and um, telling great stories. This is Sharon Delgado again. 
our guest preacher, our wonderful educator, uh, another one of our congregation who participated in the training. This is uh, prayers and sort of talking it through. You've got to do a lot of talking when you take on this subject. It's big, and um, you've got to process it. It's a, it's a big, big, big thing to talk about. Next one. And this was our final worship service where Sharon preached for us uh, for the 1,000 sermons for our Children's Trust, which is a group of young people in Eugene who are actually taking the uh, government to court saying that they're being denied life and liberty and prosperity because fossil fuels are destroying our three-day conference. I went wonderfully, wonderfully well, and I am really grateful for that because you know it doesn't, there's no guarantees for how things go. And we had an opportunity to talk about something really important in the context of faith. I, I really, if we, can, if we can get this one down, Paul never left his faith behind. He never stepped into, you guys just shouldn't be arguing, or, um, you know, if we look at the, he took all the relevant things that were happening in that day, and he addressed them as a person of faith, talking about what God's will was for us. We don't have to let that go, not in classroom. I mean, be, be mindful of, right? We don't want to come across like a Bible-thumping jerk, right? Be mindful of your context. But in you is the light in the Holy Spirit. On each side of you, the radiation of the light and the Holy Spirit, above and below you. When you walk into a room, Christ is with you. When life wrecks you, God is with you. Speak your testimony. Know that God's will for us is good despite any frightening present circumstance and that we can speak loudly and often and at, engage that which needs to be changed to bring about God's will for this creation and his people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us just reflect for a minute. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a you. 